0: If you can stand to your feet as we get ready to go to God's Word. We've Got a special guest with us today. He's a little tied up right now. He'll talk to you later. If you could turn to Mark chapter 6 as we continue to march through the gospel of Mark together. And today we're going to pick up at verse 17 and read all the way down to the 29th verse. The title of today's message is Guiding Light, Guiding Light. And we're going to kind of pick up where we left off from last week. Uh, If you have a Bible in your hand, I I want to just encourage you and just to remind you that you have the very words of life. This is God's word, the word of Christ, the word of the spirit. And if you don't have a Bible, you can kind of look over your neighbor's shoulder and, and read along as well. Mark chapter six, verse 17 It says, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. You may be seated. Gracious Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach this beautiful, beautiful Father message that you have already inspired through your word. I pray that you would help me to be faithful in preaching it. I pray for the listeners, Father, that through your spirit, that you would illuminate this text, that you would drive this message into their hearts. I pray that you would transform us, Father God. Allow us to be conformed to you and you alone. I pray that you would speak now, for your servants are listening. Even now, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We beg you to come. All right. So the basic big idea of what we were talking about last week and what we're talking about today is this. If you just walk away with with one strong statement to remember, this will be the statement. If your friends or your family call you today and say, what did the preacher tell you today? This is what I want you to tell them. want you to tell them that the preacher told us that we must surrender to the risky call of speaking the truth in love. We must surrender to the risky call of speaking the truth in love. That's what we see happening here with John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the greatest among the prophets. We see him surrendering to the assignment, to the call, to speak truth into the culture. And it was a risky call. We know that it ultimately led him in prison and even led him to die. And God likewise causes us to do the same thing. My brother here, this deacon, is sitting here before us, roped up, tied up, in order to give us a picture of, of how we once were. The Bible says that before we came to Christ, that we were in bondage, that we were slaves of our sin. We were in the kingdom of darkness. We were servants of Satan. We were a part of the world and its system. And even though we were walking around free and doing whatever we wanted to do, whenever we wanted to do it, we were enslaved. You were enslaved. I was enslaved. But this also is a picture of the world now, the world that we as we know it, people who have not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus. And if that's you here today, I don't say that uh, just insulting you with my own words or trying to, to belittle you, but to let you know that this is the picture that the Bible gives. It says that those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, that you are bound. That you are under the control of the enemy. It actually says that you are dead. You're dead to your sins. So, so this is how we are. We, we were this way. We were entangled with sin. We were entangled with various lusts and passions. We were adulterers, fornicators. We were liars. We bent the truth to suit our own desires. We were fornicators. Amen? Amen? We sought pleasure on our terms. In our own way. We were bound. We were bound. Your co-workers. In the spiritual realm. Look this way. Those who are not believers in Jesus. They're bound just like this brother. Your family members who don't know Jesus. Are bound just like this brother. They're walking around free. But yet they're bound. Not only that. We we can say that, that, that they're dead. They're dead. So as we look at this visual, I want us to, to understand that this is how God sees us and this is how we are. It's the truth. This is how we were. This is how some of us are. But also, this is how some people in the body of, of, of Christ is right now. Christians can become entangled in sin. Christians can get caught up in things. Christians can fall into like, uh, uh, adultery until idolatry christians can 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 fall into being compulsive liars or become entangled that's what galatians chapter 6 tells us but the bible tells us that as christians we have been given an assignment to free people who are bound we have been given an assignment to speak the truth in love to people to speak the truth in love to people who do not believe in jesus and also to speak the truth and love to people who are believers. Some of you know some believers, some people who p- confess to know Jesus, who are bound. You know some people who are like Herod, who are, they're having an affair. You know some believers who, who are alcoholics. You know some believers who are addicted to pornography. You know some believers who are cherishing sin, who are holding on to specific sins, and they're saying to themselves, this is just who I am. This is the way I'm always going to be. We all know people like that who confess to know Jesus. So our job is to risk our comfort. It's to risk even maybe what that person thinks about us. And it's to speak the word of life to them in order that they would not be entangled. If you knew someone was entangled in this way, if you heard someone calling out on your job from a closet saying, hey, could someone free me? Hey, can someone help me? I'm locked in a closet. Someone has, has bound me. Can someone help me? And if you was to open a closet and you was to see this brother like that, wouldn't you want to help him? You'll feel compelled and even called to do so because you know that it's the right thing to do. And yet in a church, We know that God has called us to be ambassadors for Him. God has called us to free people that's like this, but we find excuse or maybe reason after reason to be silent, reason after reason to be silent. So last week we talked about that, and, and after preaching last week's sermon, we had a number of, of people come and, and give some, some very gracious remarks, but we also got a number of different questions, some great questions that people had to ask. They said, you know, I know someone like you were just talking about. I know someone who is caught in adultery, who confesses to be a Christian. And I know someone who's struggling with this is struggling with this, and I want to go and tell them, but, but, but can you help me to give me some, some good advice on how to get started or how to go about it? So what I want to do really quickly is I want to give you a, a process to go through when you need to confront someone. And this someone could be a coworker. this someone could be a family member, this someone could be a husband or a wife. When you find yourself seeing sin in someone else's life, habitual sin in someone else's life, What should you do about it? How should you go about confronting that person? And after we answer that question, we're going to really quickly look at God's call in our life to be like John the Baptist, and finally, we're going to walk through this last section of the story and and glean some gems from that, amen? Amen. Let's give our brother a round of applause. Brothers, if someone could, could help him out, untangle him. Do it in love. Speak the truth in love to them. (laughs) All right. So really quickly, you know, someone's entangled in sin, someone who is confessing to be a Christian. Maybe they're on your job or whoever. And, you know, it's knowing at you that this person is habitually sinning. They are cherishing this sin. What should you do about it? The number one thing, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go into examination mode. Somebody say examine, examine. There's two things that you need to examine. The first thing that you need to examine is you need to examine your own life. According to Matthew chapter seven, we looked at that last week, how Jesus tells us to not that we can't judge people and we can't call people out on sin, but he says, before you do, you go and you get the plank or the log out of your own eye before you go and get the splinter out of someone else's eye. And it's funny how, when, uh, how, how we limit our sins. And we magnify other people's sins, right? So we want to make sure that we examine our own lives and we're not being hypocritical in going to them. And if we look at our own lives and say, man, I'm being hypocritical. I'm doing the same thing that this person is doing or I'm doing something similar. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't go to that person. But rather, the Bible says, stop doing what you're doing and then go and help that person. So you go into world mode. So the first thing you need to do is you need to examine your own life. Somebody say examine your own life. The second thing we need to do is we need to examine our motives. We need to examine our motives. We want to make sure that we are going to that person for the right reason. And with the right goal. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4 says. And if you got quick fingers... And you can find it, that's fine. But Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus, starting at verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of truth. When we go to a person who is entangled in sin, specifically a Christian, we are going with a purpose to keep unity. Our goal is is that we want this person to look more like Jesus. And we want the bride of Christ to be pure. Amen. He goes on and he says in verse 15 that we are to do this. We are to keep the bond of peace by speaking the truth and love to that person. So that's where I got that phrase from, speak the truth in love. Another way to think about it, someone once said that we speak the truth with an airbag in it. So we tell that person the truth, but we don't try to knock them out and kill them and destroy them. We do it in humbleness and gentleness. So we go into, we examine our own motives and say, do I want this person to become entangled? Am I confronting this person because I am concerned about the body of Christ and this person's spiritual welfare? Or am I doing this for selfish reasons? So a great way to do this is to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what we call the love chapter. Right? Right? We hear it read at weddings and stuff like It's the love chapter. And one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure that we are ministering out of a heart of love, that we are doing this because we genuinely love that person. So here's some, a quick test that we can go through. We can check our motives after we examine our life by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says that love is patient and kind. So before confronting that person, you want to ask yourself the question, have I been patient with this person? Have I been patient with this person? You know, Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says pretty much that a wise person is not quick to anger and a wise person is quick to overlook an offense. So I'm not telling us to be sin police. I'm not saying that we are to walk around and call out Every single sin or every single time a person makes a mistake. That's not what, what, what I'm saying. We all are sinners saved by God's grace. Alright? And we do not want to create a church or an atmosphere that is a hypercritical church or even a pharisaical church. So when I'm talking about calling somebody out on a sin, I'm talking about something that was that was that was heinous or something that's habitual. Or even if it is just a one-time sin, we still can can lovingly tell them about it. But we want to say, have I been patient with this person? So if your husband or your wife has done something one time that you think is is annoying, it's not the best thing, you need to ask yourself, am I being patient with this person? Am I being kind? And you can just walk through the rest of 1 Corinthians 13 and read it and ask yourself the question. Love does not envy and boast. Am I going to this person and confronting this person? Because I am jealous of them. Some people do that. Some people point out the flaws in other people's lives because they're hating. Because they want what that person has. Am I doing this out of envy? Am I doing this out of pride? Am I about to to go and confront this person because I want to one up them? Some people come to you and they are critical or they call you out on stuff simply because they want to have they want to one up on one up you. And some of us have family members like that, right? Some of you got kids and you got a sibling who is always quick to remind you of what your kid has done or what they haven't done. Because every time they remind you, it exhausts down and their kids a little more. So you want to ask yourself, am I being loving? Am I am I being kind? Am I being patient? Am I doing this out of arrogance? Am I doing this insisting on my own way? Am I easily irritable or resentful? Am I rejoicing in this person's wrongdoing? If you see someone entangled in sin and you are happy that they're entangled in sin and you're looking forward to confronting them, you probably shouldn't confront them. So we want to check our motives. We want to make sure that our motives are in the right place. But listen to what it says, verse 6. It says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth. With the truth. It is... It is is seeking to to live in truth. So the first thing we want to do is examine our lives. The second thing we want to do is what? Oh, I know Derby was last night, but I'm going to test you. You want to do what? want to examine your motives. want to examine your motives. So the first process that we want to go through is the process of examination. The second thing that we want to do before we confront someone in love is we want to pray. We want to pray. We went into examination mode, Brother Dent. Now we want to go into prayer mode. And what are we praying? We're praying for wisdom. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, the verse that you can write down, I pray that you meditate on, and I pray that you hold on to it. It's a promise from our Father. And it's James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone is in need of wisdom, let them ask God. And God will give that person wisdom freely, without reproach if he asked in faith and not in doubt. Did you hear me? God said, I will give you wisdom for whatever situation you want. Not only will I give it to you, I'll give it to you generously, I'll give you more than you need it, and I'll give it to you freely if you ask in faith. If you know someone is entangled in sin and you know that God is calling you to speak the truth and love to them, after you examine yourself, go and pray. Say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I don't want to do this out of vain conceit or vain glory. I want to bring the scripture to this person in order that their hearts would be enlightened, in order that they would love Jesus. Pray that God will give you the right words and allow you to say it the right way at the right time. I'm going to say that again. Pray that the Lord will give you the right words to speak the right way at the right time. So you can have the right words but do it the wrong way and at the right time and mess stuff up. You can have the right words and do it the right way at the wrong time and have it messed up. So you want to be praying, pray, Lord, help me to go to my wife. This this thing that she's doing is sinful. This, This gossip is not right. It's not bringing glory to you. God, help me to go to my husband. The Bible says, Lord, that, that, that he's supposed to live with me in an understanding way. He's not being very understanding. But Lord, help me to go to him with the right words, the right way, at the right time. Help me not to go to him when he's already irritated. Help me to have wisdom, God. And the Bible promises that he'll do that. He'll do that. So the first thing we want to do is what? Examine. And what are we examining? Ourselves. What else? Our motives. After that, we want to do what? And what are we praying for? Wisdom. Amen. We're praying for wisdom. The last thing we want to do is we want to go. We want to go. After we pray to the Lord and asked the Lord to cleanse us and to, to, to help us, we want to go. And where do we want to go? We want to go to that person. I want you to go home and I want you to read this passage. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 through 18. And I see you writing it down and in your mind you're saying, yeah, I'm going to go home and do it. No, really, go home and do it. <laughs> it's, going to, it's going to help you. And it's going to solve for the body of Christ a lot of issues. A lot of issues. But read it in context of the whole chapter because the whole context is important to understand. But listen, Jesus talked to the disciples and he is he is preparing his church and he is he is. He is, he is initiating his church, and he wants them to know something very important. He wants them to know how to deal with conflict and how to deal with a person who is entangled in sin. And he gives them a four-part process. So we want to go, and we want to do go through these four stages. The first thing he says is you go to that person one-on-one. If this person has sinned against you, you go and you tell them one-on-one. Now, when it says you, I am one who personally interprets that, Brother Jared, to mean that it does not just mean you as an individual, but it means the body of Christ. If you know that this person has been doing things, sinning flagrantly and openly and intentionally and habitually against the body of Christ, it is your job to go to that person. Now, let me pause right there, because a lot of times we we get messed up right there. It says, I want you to, he says, you go to that person. He doesn't say you go and tell four other people. And get advice about going to that other person. Amen. It says, no, you go to that person. A lot of times we make mistakes when someone sins against us and when someone uh, sins against the body of Christ. Instead of going to that person, we go to uh, Lucy Lou and Nuke Nuke, Baby No. We go to Ginger No, uh, Deuce Deuce. We go and tell everybody but that person. And what happens sometimes is the people that we went to or, or we find out that that person, they probably wasn't even guilty of what we expected them from. Proverbs chapter 19 says that uh, a wise person listens not just to one side of the story, but to, to, to both sides of the story. A wise person is going to investigate to see if what they think is true. Amen. So you go to that person and you, you, you call them out now. After going to that person in love for the intention of restoring that person, if that person does not listen to you, if you say, listen, sweetie, uh, word has gotten out and I see that you are very flirtatious at work and people are saying that you're having an affair with this man and you say that you're a Christian, you go to to Bedside Baptist Church and, uh, you know, I just want to call you out on this because I love you Uh, and that person ignores you. And if you do know the church that they're going to and it's a legitimate church, or even if it's the church that you go to, after that you go and you get two or three other people. You get some other believers and you have them sit in on that meeting. If that person hardens their heart, step number three, the Bible says you take it to the church. And I would would say you take it to the elders, the leaders of the church. And if that person still doesn't listen, then the Bible says that the the elders, the leaders, you're to take it before the body of Christ. And you're then to take, uh, to treat that person as if they're not a believer. See, God has prepared a way to protect his bride. That's what the church is. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ and it's Christ's boo. Christ loves it. And he wants to make sure that there is not rampant and an ongoing intentional and habitual sin because you were bought with the price. Because God saved you for a specific purpose and gave you an assignment and God is not doing this and putting this process in place because he's mean. No, he's doing it out of love because he doesn't want you sitting here entangled Sunday after Sunday, day after day, week after week, not living life to its fullest because you are cherishing sin. And all of us need people in our lives who can speak the truth and love to us. I need brothers in my life who can speak the truth and love to me. least that sin grows like leaven. So we examine. We pray. And we go. All right. So that is the process that's wise. Now, I I do want to make a distinction. I think that what we just dealt with is the way that Christians should deal with believers, mostly. In this text, John is confronting Herod. Herod is a tetriarch. It says King Herod, but Herod really technically wasn't a king. He was more of a puppet for the king. The king was uh, Tiberius Caesar at the time. He was the, the emperor of Rome, excuse me. But Herod and even Rome, they allowed him to kind of pretend and play king, but he really didn't have any power. So John is calling him out, speaking the truth and love to him, uh, and this person does not believe in God or in Jesus, right? But he speaks the truth and love to him. So if you're dealing with a non believer and you see a non believer entangled in sin, the Bible calls you to speak the truth and love to him. But you don't go through the, the third part of that process. What you do is you do what John the Baptist did. If you look at the text, you'll see that John lifted the law up to Herod's conscience. The Bible says in verse 18 that this is what John was going around preaching for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, notice what he was doing. He was saying to Herod, all right? Uh, He was saying to Herod directly, it is not lawful. When Herod came and heard him preach, even in prison, it is not lawful for you to take your brother's life. What did he do? He said lawful. He lifted up the law. He lifted up scripture to his conscience. If you have someone who is a non-believing, who is living a sin, if you have a co-worker who is constantly coming up to you and telling you about their sexual escapades and their drunkenness and their hidingness or whatever it is, you don't bash them over the head, you simply in love tell them, wow, you keep telling me this and that's very interesting. I want to be upfront with you. You sleeping around it's not okay. Number one, it's not okay because it's not going to fulfill you. Number two, it's not okay because God says it's not okay. As a Christian, this is what we believe. And you just leave it there in love. And you let that word work him. You let it work him. Didn't the word work Herod? The Bible says that Herod, after John had died, Herod was paranoid. Even after he's dead, he's walking around thinking that that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Why? Because of the word that was spoken. Let the word do his work. But secondly, I would say this, if it's a non-believer, don't just talk to them about their sin. The main issue is an issue of the heart. It is an issue of unbelief. If someone doesn't believe in Jesus, you should expect them not to follow the, the law of Jesus, the word of Jesus. That's expected. So I'm not going to hit you over the head and and with it and keep bringing up the fact that you're doing this. I'm not going to treat the symptom. I'm going to go to the problem. And the problem is your unbelief. The problem is, is that you don't see Jesus for who he is. The problem is you don't agree with Jesus that sin is sin and that he is God and that God is the, the ruler of this universe who has created you with a divine purpose. So you lift the scripture up to their conscience. And you specifically speak good news to them. Tell them. That's the bad part, but the good part is that God's hand is, is not too short that He cannot save. All right. So now I, I want to talk about a, what hinders us from speaking the truth in love to people. What hinders us from going to people and entangling them with God's word from their sin, from confronting them. And this is what. I believe, hinders the average Christian from speaking the truth to other Christians. Last week we looked at how it is a fear of coming off as being judgmental, feeling like we're judging people and we don't have a right to And We show how that's not true. This week we're going to look at the approval of man. The approval of man. The reason why many of us don't go to that Christian who is entangled in sin and to that non-believer who is entangled to sin and speak the gospel to them is because we still yearn for people's approval. At the core issue, we want to be liked. We want people to speak well of us. Am I right about it? Do we struggle with that sometimes? But we see in this text a man who was secure with two things. John the Baptist. He was secure with two things. The first thing that he was secure in was he was secure in his relationship with God. He knew that he was accepted by God no matter what people thought of him. The second thing we see is that John was secure in his assignment. The reason why we don't go to people and confront them with the truth is because a lot of us, we're still trying to find our significance in people. When the Bible tells us as Christians, once the Lord renews us, once he regenerates us, once he gives us a a new heart through the Holy Spirit, he, he, he adopts us into his family and the Bible tells us that God accepts us. He accepts us. We are fully accepted by God. We are fully cherished by God. We are seen as God's child. And if we meditate on who we are in God, it will stop us from trying to seek our significance and identity from people rather than God. You're accepted by God. John, John the Baptist knew, Sister Debbie, he was accepted by God. He lived in the wilderness. He preached with camel's clothing. He ate locusts. He looked like an Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist was like a hippie preaching in the 2000s or the 21st century. All right. And he didn't care what people thought about him because he knew that God was pleased with them. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 real quick. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 10. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is Paul saying, Am I seeking, am I living for the approval of man? Are you living for the approval of people? When you lay your head down at night, do you think, Man, today was a good day because this person thought I was awesome. Because this person says that I'm a great person. Or do you lay your head down on a pillow and say, you know, I had a rough day today. And people don't seem to really care for me, but God, you accept me. God, your grace is sufficient. God, your mercy is following me. Are you living for the praise of man or for the praise and approval of God? says, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot be on assignment for Jesus and be living to please man. And by please man, I mean, we definitely want to please our spouse. And we definitely want to, to, to love people. But by please man, he's saying by, by, by allowing man to, to control the way you think and the way you live for God. Some of us, our ministries for God is so limited because we are stuck on what people think about us. The second thing is his assignment. John knew his assignment. Luke chapter 2. John knew that he was peculiar. He knew that something special was happening. He knew that he was a voice crying in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. And he accepted that assignment. But guess what? God has given every single believer in here an assignment. The same exact assignment. John's assignment was to point to Jesus and to say, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. He says, and guess what? I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a voice. I come to tell you today that your assignment from God is is not to be the center of attention. It's not to be liked by man or praised by man. Your assignment is to be a voice, a voice that is pointing other people to Jesus, a voice that says, my brother, my sister, I see you struggling. I see you entangled. Let's look that. Let's look at the word of Christ. The Bible says that we are ambassadors. We are. You're an ambassador for Jesus. Jesus saved you in order that you would deliver a message. And that message is to, to the world: be reconciled with God. You know, how many of you would be upset if around tax season? Your mailman came, and he opened your mail, your, your refund check or whatever, your tax return, and he changed the numbers on there from like 1,500, well, I know y'all ballers, from like 5,000 <laughs> to like $50. Or, or, or how many of you, better yet, would say, let's, let's reverse that, say he changed it from $50 to $5,000. And then you went to cast a check or something like that, and, and the IRS called and said, you really don't have that much money. And then you go back to him and be like, did you alter my mail? He's like, yeah, I did, because I really wanted to be liked by you. I wanted to see you smile at me, and, and you made me feel so good. The next time I came, I guess it's because I, I delivered good mail. Listen, we are mailmen and mailwomen. It is not our job to alter anything that God has said. Our job is to deliver the mail. Our job is to look at Scripture and say, listen, sir, listen, ma'am, your life is not lining up with Scripture even though you claim to be his child. We need, we need, oh man, we need, we need some John the Baptist. And not just John the Baptist in the pews, we need some John the Baptist in the pulpit. We need some more Peter Cartwrights. Peter Cartwright was a a, a pioneer and a, a famous Methodist preacher, and and he preached the word, and he was bold in preaching the word. And one day, uh, some of the men from the church came to him and said, "Hey, hey, pastor, guess what? Andrew Jackson, the president, has heard about your preaching ministry, and he is going to come and visit you." They said, "Now we need you to be on your best behavior, and you cannot offend the president if he comes to church." So he just looked at him and he said, okay. He gets up to the pulpit. Somebody touches him and says, guess what? Andrew Jackson is here. The President of the United States. He nodded. He says, I have just been notified that President Andrew Jackson is here this morning. And some very good men told me not to offend him and to be careful with my words. Well, this is my message to Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson You are a sinner. And if you do not repent and turn to Jesus, you will go to hell. They say that at the end of the service, as the president was walking out, he shook Cartwright's hand. And he said, Cartwright, if I had a hundred soldiers like you, I could conquer the world. You hear the voice of the Lord us, if I, if I just had 12, <laughs> 12 people who weren't living for the approval of man, 12 people who, who weren't always concerned about what people thought about, them. 12 people who were willing to confront people whose lives are messed up but who still want to cry out, I, I should have bought a Honda while they're at work. That's speaking tongues, amen. 12 people who will stand flat-footed and say, Jesus loves me too much, not to help you to love him. Twelve, you know, Jesus did a lot with twelve men, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need some more Elijah's, brother. You know what Ahab said of Elijah? He saw Elijah walking. He says, oh, you, the troubler of Israel. We need some more prophets of uh, Micaiah's. You remember Micaiah? Uh, a, a less long prophet who a king saw him coming uh, uh, and, and he said, listen, let's not go to Micaiah. All he does is pro- prophesize bad news. We need some preachers that's not afraid to preach some bad news. Some preachers that's not afraid to tell American Christians and, and cultural Christians that, that it's not okay the way that we live in general. That it's not okay for us to look like the world and talk like the world and, and, and live like the world. That it's not okay for us to think that that God has called us to be comfortable. That it's not okay for us to curse out our husband and wife and then walk into the sanctuary every Sunday as if everything is all right. We need some people who will stand up, like the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, and say, You know, God requires holiness, and without holiness, no one will see God. We need some folk who are not afraid to speak the truth and afraid to speak a message of repentance, a message that says, Turn from your idolatry and turn to Jesus. We need some, we need some polls that are poor into some Timothys and say, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. We need some people who will stand up and say, you know what? Don't preach them happy, but 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 preach them holy. Reprove and rebuke. Uh, we, we need some folk who not afraid, who's not walking around worried about whether or not everybody likes me. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, you know what he said, Brother Leroy? He said something that just shook me reading Luke chapter 6, he said, Woe to the person who is spoken well of by all men. For the false prophets were spoken well of by all men. Y'all don't hear me. Woe to the person who everybody has something good to say about. You know, uh, there's a a preacher that came to Louisville. (laughs) A couple of years ago, and uh, I worked at a a, a a suit store selling suits and my job, the employers there were very, very interesting people, very very nice people, uh, but it was a melting pot of religions. We had a Muslim there i mean a real Muslim we had a guy who was a part of the nation of Islam, an uh, attempted Muslim <laughs> we had a guy who, <laughs> we had a guy who was uh, Buddhists, uh, we had an atheist, we had a universalist, a person who believed that everyone would be saved in the end. And I would always, we would talk to them about religion and stuff and try to get them to come to church, and they would always give me an excuse. Well, one day I came into work, and the, the store was closing early, and Joel heck Did I say his name? Somebody came to preach! <laughs> Andrew Jackson, you need to rip it. No, i just joking. Came to town to preach and all of them were smiling. They even got me a ticket to go with them to preach. And I started thinking to myself, why is it that this person comes to preach and everybody will go and see him? But nobody will step foot in a Christian church any other time. Go to the person who everyone speaks highly of. Let's walk through this text real quick. Let's look at, go back to Mark. Mark chapter 6. What separates a person who is on Simon for Jesus, a person who is in the kingdom of God, a person who has been saved by the magnificent grace of God is that they know that they are accepted by Jesus and they have been called to be ambassadors of Jesus. What separates them from the world is that the world is still searching for significance and looking for personal attention and acceptance. That's what we see happening in the rest of this story. Verse twenty-one says, "But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee." So we see Herod; he's a messed-up man, very wicked man. Stole his brother's life, a wife, and now he is throwing a party for himself, and it's a birthday party. And anybody who is important in Israel is there. He throws himself a party. That's the world throwing ourselves a party. Christians, we don't throw ourselves a party with our life. We throw Jesus a party. Amen. Verse 22. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Now this is messed up. The king throws a party and his niece, who was probably 15 or 16, Comes in and she is doing some seductive dancing. It's a it's a shame one time because he was willing to watch his niece dance. It's a shame two times because his new wife unlawfully was willing to allow her dance her daughter to dance seductively. Amen. So this is a sick family, a soap opera type family. He's drunk, he's booze, she's stripping. And the mother is okay with it. Let's continue. He says, and he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Look at what's going on. Everybody here is living to be the center of attention. And everybody here is following their own lusts. And everybody here is under the control of someone else. Herod wants to be the man, throws himself apart. But Herod is controlled by his wife. Herodias is like Jezebel. She is maneuvering and manipulating everything. She wants to be accepted by the husband and by the child, but she also wants to be in control. Their daughter, salome that's who Josephus says her, her name is, is, is dancing for attention. She is using her body se, uh, seductively in order to get praise from men, in order to feel accepted by men. People who have not found their significance in God is living to find their significance in other things and other people. That's why they argue. That's why they fight. Have you seen some of these reality TV shows? Got grown women acting like they're 12 and 13 years old, fighting with each other for attention, looking for approval, looking for acceptance, looking looking for praise. John the Baptist is free of that because he has received acceptance from Jesus. He's received acceptance from the Father. He is secure in his assignment. And there's someone here today, you're just like Herod, you are living your life for respect. You are living your life for for praise. You are living your life and you want to be the center of attention. And the reason why you mistreat your wife is because she doesn't give you the attention you want. The reason why you don't love your husband the way he wants is because you want to be the center of attention. There's a young lady here today who who dresses uh, as seductively as possible, who who changes into scanty outfits and who wears tight things because she she wants attention. You want acceptance from people. You think that if you can just get these guys to turn their head, if you can get them to make a sly comment about the shape of your body, then you'll be significant. You think if your, your hair is just a little longer or if if this looks just a little better that you'll be important and I want to tell you that you are chasing the wind and what is going to happen is is after not being able to get the attention you want in one area you're going to begin to search in other areas and before you know it if you're not already there you're going to be completely broken and you're going to end up being under the control of everybody else. Herod was a puppet in Herodias' hand. This woman, this young woman was a puppet in her Mother's hand, because she did not know who she was. She did not who, know who God was. And you, and, and many of us sitting here today, we know people who are just like this. People who are living for the attention and the approval of other people. We know some Herods, but, but we know some Herodiases. We know some grandmothers and some mothers and some grandfathers that's kind of controlling the family and making everything run the way they wanted to run. Because at the end of the day, they want everything to come through them. And that is the sin of man. Going back to Genesis chapter 2, what does Eve desire? What does she want? She wants more glory. She wants attention. She wants to be in the place of God. And the reason why so many people are messed up is because we have not yet realized and found out that God did not make us to be the the one who receives praise or who receives attention. God made us not to be worshipped, but to worship. That's why so many celebrities are so messed up. They 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 desire fame. They desire glory. That's what I like about uh, Behind the Music, MTV show and, and different shows like that. They, they tell the story to celebrity, how the celebrity all they wanted was fame. All they wanted was attention. And then they got that attention. They got that fame. And it started off good. Just like for Herod. The party started off good. The world's party starts off good and then it ends up bad. God's party may start off a little rough, but I guarantee you stick with them, it's gonna end up good. But they start, and then, then you see celebrity after celebrity. After getting all this attention and fame, they, they start going to other things for satisfaction. You say well, you got all this money, why are you on drugs? You got all this money, why are you an alcoholic? You got everything that money could buy, uh, a easy life, we say. Why are you so messed up? The reason why they're messed up is because they were not created to contain what they're trying to contain. They were not created for the praise of men. We were not created to be praised by men. We were created to reflect the image of God and people to see that reflection and then glorify God in heaven. God is calling some of us in here to speak the truth and love to people. God is calling some of us in here to lovingly go up to to people, to young women that we know are using their bodies and their looks to receive attention. And I just want to talk to you women. If, if, If you have to get his attention by showing skin, you're going to have to keep his attention. By showing skin. The proverb says it this way it says discretion, lack of discretion in a woman is like a nose ring in a pig's snout to God. A woman who lacks discretion, a woman who lacks modesty to God is not not attractive. Peter says, let your adorning be the inner person. I'm not saying that we can't seek to, to look good and, and to, for whatever reasons and, and to dress good, but I'm saying that when we're, every part of us, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, everything that we do must be done for the glory of God. Whether we eat or whether we drink, even the way we dress. Because our lives are here, we have been saved to bring Jesus' attention and not ourselves' attention. That person who's in adultery, that person who's entangled in sin, you're probably entangled because you want to bring yourself pleasure or you want to bring yourself attention. And I'm telling you, it will not satisfy you. The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord are pleasures evermore. True pleasure, true purpose is found in an intimate relationship with God. Not living for the approval of man. Interesting the way this, this text closes. It closes with John the disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, coming for the body of John. They hear that he's died, they hear that his head has been cut off. They hear that it's been brought to Herodias, probably on a, on a platter, kind of cannibal, what kind of heart? And they go and they get his body. It's a beautiful picture and a beautiful foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Jesus. Not long after we know that Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to die upon a cross for your sins and for my sins past, present, and future. He's going to die in order that we will be reconciled back to God. And the Bible says that some disciples came for Jesus' body. Joseph came for Jesus' body. But also there was another disciple who was there to witness what happened, and his name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious person that really didn't love Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus confronted Nicodemus in love. He spoke the truth to Nicodemus. And he told Nicodemus that life will only be found if you put your faith and trust in God's son. We've got to point people to Jesus. And we've got to tell them life will only be found when we put our faith and trust in him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you have called us to be a guiding light. You, Father God, have called us, Lord, to not settle for seeing other people fall in sin. You have not called us to sacrifice the truth on the altar of peace. You have called us, Father God, to ruffle up some things, to be some troublers sometimes in order that your body would flourish. You've called us, Father God, not to seek to be spoken well of by all people, but to be faithful by you, Father God. And you've you've shown us that this is risky. You've shown us that it will cost us our life at times. That we, like John the Baptist, may end up dead, Father God, dying a death, Lord. That seems dishonorable to man, but a death that is honorable to you, Father. As your word declares, Father God, blessed is is the person who puts their faith and trust in you. Blessed is the man who is faithful to your call. For they will hear you say, good and faithful servant, well done. Help us to live and yearn for that call. Help us to know and to see, Father God, that great is our treasure in heaven. Help us to see, Father God, that those who have been martyred for the faith, Father God, that they are are to receive, Father God, a hundredfold blessing in the life to come. In Jesus' name, we beg you for this boldness. Amen.